Welcome to Brave. Be inspired by the best leaders of Southeast Asia tech. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. I'm Jeremy Ao, a VC founder and father. Join us for transcripts, analysis, and community at www.jeremyao.com. Hi, Sherilyn. So good to have you on the Brave Show. Really excited to have you here as a founder, you know, in SaaS across Southeast Asia, in Indonesia, Singapore, Thailand, US. So I uh, want to hear your story. Sherilyn, for those who don't know yet, could you introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for having me here. I'm Sherilyn, the CEO and founder of AsiaLawNetwork.com and Tesseract Technologies, Tesseract.io a workflow automation platform that starts with the professionals industry. It's now mainly in law, in funds, in accounting, as well as in engineering and insurance. I've got to ask, how did you get started in this whole entrepreneurship thing? Like, how did the bug bite you? <laughs> I think the bug bit me a very long time ago. I came from a family business background. So, you know, my mom always told me about business. We'd go into a cafe and she'll tell me how many staff are serving people, how many people are sitting in the cafe, and then we'll look out on the ratios, and like she'll tell me, oh, I think they're understaffed, or I think they're overstaffed. And my mom has always been someone that's very business-minded, and I think that buck has been me a long time ago. <laughs> I gotta ask, I see that in your background, the, one of the first official things you co-founded was Chupito's Bar, the first shooter's bar in Singapore. So I gotta ask, like, how did that get started? Yes. <laughs> Sounds like fun. <laughs> yes, actually it was really fun. I don't remember half of it because I was drunk most of the time. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We actually won a business case competition that's organized by INSEAD, Capital Land, and a number of other corporates. And it was this space up for rent. It was free rent in Clark Key. And we were supposed to submit like business case for that particular space. And uh, the best idea wins. And then you get to execute it. So... That was really fun because I've lived in Barcelona for about a year doing my exchange program. And in Spain, every city has their own shots bar. You know, it's like a pre-clubbing kind of place where you go to to get yourself a bit sloshed. And you don't have it here in Singapore. So those were the days before your cocktail bars that you have today. So it was very fun. We implemented that and business was really good. Yeah, so that was a great run then. I love the fact that, yeah, it's just, I can just imagine that the best idea was just a, <laughs> a place where there's lots of shots. Yeah. At 25 years old, yeah, you're everyone's <laughs> best friend because like at 25, yeah. you know, all your friends are starting to drink a lot more and they got into their first jobs, they have money to spend and they're like, hey, you know, we need to go to somewhere that's fun and cool and hang out with friends. You know, in those days, it was only the clubs. So in clubs, the music's loud and you can't really talk. So best place to hang out. <laughs> Too bad now. It's really hard, right? Because in the FMV, it's a bit hard to hang out and drink. So can bring those parties home <laughs> with two people max now. <laughs> How did you transition from alcohol and yeah. you know the FMV side, which is obviously a very interesting, a very rewarding, obviously business and obviously founding experience <laughs> in its own right, to yes. you know where you are today? Walk us through how you got there. 
Let me remember. <laughs> I think the idea was when we won the business case competition, I was with my partner then, Jamie, and she's still now in the FMB industry. She's super passionate about FMB, and uh, I think no better person than to take it forth. One of the things I learned during that period of time was FMB is not really a passion for me because I really liked my days. As an introvert, actually, that kind of lifestyle kind of was difficult for me. So uh, after eight months of running it and we're, in, we're doing really well, I decided to move on. In those days, it was not really a thing to be an entrepreneur. We just kind of like fell into it. And the next thing I went into was I invested in a marketing, a creative agency called Yuan Associates because I decided that one of the things I could really do was to pitch for projects like BD type stuff. So I spent six months actually watching the creative industry and uh, how they pitch for projects. And um, so I got into that for the next three years. Then at the point in time, I was going through something rough personally. And whilst I was trying to decide what to do next, I wanted to sell off my shares in the, in the agency. Also, at that point in time, I was trying to find lawyers to help me draft out all these contracts that needed to be done. I think I was like 28, 29 years old. And it's funny, right? It's not like today where lawyers are all online, they're on LinkedIn, you can find one easily. In those days, actually, it was so difficult to find any lawyer. So after looking for a lawyer for like three months, and only managed to get like two meetings because law firms in those days were really more difficult to get to. They were busy with their corporate clients. So as an individual who's 28, 29, they wouldn't expect much from me, right? I was imagining that if at that point in time, I have friends who are lawyers and they're working in big firms and those law firms were not responsive to me. I cannot imagine being just a man on the street. How am I supposed to get the legal help I need? And knowing that it was a crucial need for any, any developed world, I decided to like plunge myself head in and to spend one year in researching about the legal industry across the world. And that's when actually I founded AsiaLawNetwork.com. This time was quite different, right? Because now we were talking a little bit about it and you, know, you said that you learned quite a few lessons from being a founder this time around. What would you say that you learned from being a founder of an enterprise SaaS a company across both Asia Law Network and Tesseract.io? Wow, what I've learned. I think that being a founder of a tech company requires an intense amount of passion in always being at the forefront of technology because technology moves so fast. You have different tools coming out every single day. You're talking about adoption rates in, across the world. You're talking about competing, not just within your own jurisdiction, like an FMB, it's like within the community or that neighborhood that you serve. But when you're talking about technology, you really have to be very well uh, informed and you got to do a lot of research and understand global trends. And these trends not just uh, have to deal with your own, within your own SaaS. Like, for example, we're doing workflow automation. We have to know everything from servers, cloud computing, everything that's happening on that front, because all of that will affect our business as well and how we implement our tech. So being a SaaS entrepreneur or a tech founder, one of the cool things that I realized is it's totally me. <laughs> we spoke about running an FMB and then going into creative agencies. I realized that everything was preparing me for this particular stint that I have. I was actually in the creative agency trying to launch our own cloud. Way ahead of time, I guess in those days, that was like 
more than 10 years ago. And I was trying to launch our own cloud platform using whatever cloud software that's around. Even before that, before running the bar, I was actually running a consulting company called Resonance Consultancy, where we focus on design thinking. So design thinking, I kind of built like a mini Dropbox equivalent for one of our clients, a listed company, so that they could share uh, huge images across all their different outlets so that they can use those images in their marketing or advertising efforts. All these experiences that I had kind of like uh, drove me to do what I do today and totally enjoy it. So being a tech founder, lots of learnings, I think, but the key thing is that you always have to be on the go. And you always have to know and want to be curious about what's happening in the tech world. There you are just doing all of this about being on the go. Any tips or reflections about how you've learned how to be on the go and keep it all juggled slash (laughs) spinning slash gyrating? Yep, lots of compartmentalizing. I think one of the key things to learn is about how you yourself work and how you capture data. For me, I love influx of data. I love influx of stories. I love to learn. So I actually read a lot. So, But I don't go and read like a huge book at one go. So what I do is I subscribe to a lot of podcasts I, like yourself. I, su- I subscribe to, in those days, was RSS feeds, all the way through to emailers, newsletters from McKinsey, from some of other places, from Seth Gordon about like marketing. All these are places where thought leaders share what are the cool things that's happening in the market and what you should not forget. And I think over time, when you have that habit of learning and reading, constantly on the go, you know, when you're taking a break, when you're having 10 minutes timeout in between or whilst waiting for someone else in the cafe, just reading up on an article or two actually makes a lot of sense. And even before this whole internet era, you know, when I was in the uni, I read a lot of news articles from Forbes, from Newsweek, excellent like places to learn about business models. All these things are huge drivers to inspiration later on, where everything starts to consolidate like a bit like chaos theory and the butterfly effect. In all of that midst, how do you define what it is that you need to learn? Because, you know, there's so much information that you kind of subscribed and all that stuff. So I think they're all pushing information at you. But yes. I guess when you need to learn stuff because you're at the frontier of getting stuff done, yeah. how do you learn something that you need to learn? For example, I assume like there's clients that you need to learn how to sell to or there's engineering requirements that you need to figure out how to build for. So how do you pull that information more directly? Okay, so I start with having a broad picture of what I need to learn. So whether it's in tech, in operations, in HR, in finance, in fundraising, I label them down into different segments. Every time I read something and I find that I don't know enough about something, I will ask a lot of people when I meet them questions that's relating to that particular topic. And that helps me a lot because, of course, you can go and read like tons of books, but the people around you are already resourceful and it works a lot more for you if you're chatting with someone and you're finding out what they do. Having mentors really help as well. From a young age, actually, I've had mentors that can help me with these different topics. For example, I think one of the key things that I learned and I wanted to share because I just caught up with him. So like Richard Yu from Yuan Sang, I caught up with him and in those days was really funny. One of the key things that I did when I was younger was really have having no fear. So I took his business model and I drew a huge mind map and I literally just emailed him 
and I say, hey, I need to talk about this huge gap you have, which is e-commerce at that point in time in his business. And him and his board was actually very open and they decided to invite us for a pitch and to hear us out in terms of what, what they were missing. So over the years, I uh, caught up him to find out like how he manages problems. You know, as you grow bigger in terms of your size of the organization, there are different things that you need to do. For him, I, I always asked him some of the curious things I, I found about like people dealing with big organizations, right? Is that how do you prioritize what is the most urgent thing that you need to do or learn? Which comes back to your topic of like, wow, there's so many tons of things that you need to learn and read about. And he said that if something can be done or managed by someone else, you should let that person deal with it and then focus on the things that you cannot outsource, right? And so I think along the way, as I started to grow businesses, I've learned that the things that, yes, it might seem like someone else can't do it, but I need to let go and let someone else who's even better at it to deal with it. And that's how we've been growing the team also right now, which is to hire people who are better than me at all these different subtopics. And then every week, I'll just catch up with them for an hour and then like, basically download all the stuff that they have learned or known and that kind of works. And you said an interesting phrase which was like you said back then you had no fear. Uh, yes. And <laughs> so tell me more about what you mean by that and to some extent what has happened since then. Yeah. Age. <laughs> well, I, I won't say uh, specifically age. Well, no fear. I, I think in some things, I still have no fear. I mean, think about it. We started Asia Law Network. We serve mainly, I mean, at the beginning, lawyers, right? So they're a tough bunch to serve if you have worked with lawyers before. They expect really high quality stuff. They expect really good standard of service. So that kind of fear is okay. But I think as I grew, that fear was more like health-related. Things like, okay, I cannot be the only one that drives this. And this company has to exist even if I don't. That kind of fear. But when you're younger, you're 23, you think that you're superhuman. You don't ever think that you're going to die immediately the next day. So it was that kind of fear that creeps in over time <laughs> when you realize. Interesting. So you're saying that you had no fear back then because you were unclear about what was going on? Is that what? <laughs> <laughs> unclear about the fact that I could be sick. I guess I'm, I'm super blessed, right? I used to do a lot of sports when I was younger. I took very little sick days, if any at all. So that wasn't something like you think about naturally when you're younger. But then as you grow older, you're like, oh man, this is real. I mean, just even giving birth alone, I had a very difficult pregnancy. So I had to go through like seven operations. So I, I literally almost died. Seven operations? Yes, seven operations. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that sounds like seven too many, to be honest. Yep, yep. These are the things that make you feel human. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, I need to build something that's more robust. And not just I, but the whole team. And um, that's why I grill into our team as well, that unfortunately we have to make ourselves uh, dispensable. Because yeah. that's the only way that we can build a super robust business and company. And what's interesting is that obviously I have your profile here on the side here. And you had this very strong profile statement out here. They said, quote unquote, I'm a strong believer that mothers are the most efficient and effective people around. <laughs> With the right drive and motivation, they become great workmates. Yep. Hashtag she for she. <laughs> Yes. So tell us more because that's a big statement to put on uh, your LinkedIn real estate here. Talk, talk us through that manifesto here. 
Okay, I think that I was probably very ignorant before being a mom. But after being a mom, I realized that, wow, moms really have to deal with a lot. Just give an example. I'm here in, in the room speaking to you. But if, if I do hear any cries at all, if I hear any baby cries, now my body is like tuned to kind of respond to it. So you can imagine why people are going crazy with this whole work from home thing. And moms not just have to deal with their hormonal changes, their bodily changes. You're talking about having to deal with their own personal growth, their identity, having to deal with uh, multitasking, having to take care of kids. I mean, I guess the luckier ones have help. And, um, you know, if their husbands are not helping, and that's where it kind of like still, I mean, lies mainly with the mom. So... Moms at work fully salute them. And that's why also within our own work environment, we're very supportive of moms and we are quite flexible in terms of working with yeah, around the time as long as they contribute the same way. Yeah. This has been actually been a big discussion topic because to some extent, lots of founders, when we have this conversation, are like, how do I become a parent? Or is that even possible <laughs> to be a parent and a founder? So that's like one level of conversation. Yep. And then I think a deeper level of the conversation is like there's a double ding, which is like, how am I going to succeed as a female founder yeah. plus as a mom founder, if that makes sense. Yeah. So there's yeah. even like a double, I use the word double ding because I think it's more commonly seen as a you know, negative you know, from a self-judgmental slash question mark space, right? You know, so it's one magnitude worse than I think, frankly, I think in terms of conversation topic from how historically, I guess, a father founder may even see that conversation topic, right? So how would you approach this topic in terms of the parameters of conversation? I'm sure people have talked to you about it, like, hey, how do you handle it, etc.? I think it's important to be really upfront and truthful to yourself first. Of course, I think a lot of women struggle with the idea of like, hey, am I going to have kids first? And if the answer is yes, then you got to make it work. I think that question came sometime even before I got married. So interestingly, there was a very difficult time in Asia Law Network's uh, history. And I almost postponed the wedding. And my very kind family asked me, I was like, okay, you don't look too good right now. <laughs> Do you want to postpone the wedding so that you are okay? And I, I thought to myself, hey, you know, if life is going to be on hold for my startup, then something is not right. We need to embrace the fact that everything has to go at the same time. So once we did that, and the whole plan was to work around it. So I moved my mom and my dad <laughs> to 100 meters away from me. <laughs> So the planning took like three years before even like having a child. Planning for my husband to be the primary caretaker for my baby. So that took a lot of negotiation as well and family planning and say, hey, you know, we got to take turns, do stuff. Being able to work around it, talk about it and being really truthful if this is the right time. And I strongly believe in a gut feel. If you think that the time is right, then do it because then everything else will fall around it. I've even seen uh, moms with four kids like have a startup. I mean, that one, hands down, I don't know how to do it because with one, I am trying to learn how to be more effective. But yeah, so I, I think people make it work. And, and that's why it's even more amazing when I see moms that are trying to make things work because it takes an extraordinary amount of like courage and effort to make it work, yeah. Yeah, I empathize with that. <laughs> 
You're a dad, right? I'm a dad, and I did actually tell my wife about potentially rescheduling my wedding because <laughs> of a founder dynamic. Because you know we were rushing to close our Series A, and yeah. it was touch and go for a moment, and so I was like. Maybe we might have to reschedule a wedding, and she was like, <laughs> "Put a foot down on me." Let's just say, <laughs> you know? okay. So we still but went it all on. Worked out, uh, yeah. It worked out, yeah. We closed it right before the the wedding ceremony, but I was very distracted while during the planning itself. <laughs> <laughs> so I empathize with that piece, and obviously everything else. Obviously, that not so much. Obviously, but I think I resonate with a lot of the truths around it. Because I was helping off the planning for the kid and everything. Yeah. And obviously, you know, I resonate getting a lot of help from in-laws <laughs> and <laughs> as much help as possible. Yeah. There's actually a big element that you said, which is obviously talk about the planning, talk about getting the help. But what I liked about the phrase you said was step one is actually being very truthful, being very direct and frank about it. Do you feel like people are not very frank or direct about it? Yeah. Yes. Unfortunately, I feel so. I do experience a lot of um, conversations. I guess I have friends who are questioning whether, hey, you know, should I have kids this year or next year? I told them to rewind and like think about it again. Like, okay, maybe do you really want to have kids at all first before you go into this year or next year or the year after? Because in the end, it it boils down to what you really want. And I feel like if anyone puts their heart and soul into something that they really want, they might find themselves in a better position to answer the questions. Instead of this year or next year, I do have that question. Like, you know, when I was getting married or when I was having my first child, it was like, hey, is this the right time? If you know you're gonna go for it, then you go for it. Interestingly, when I was fundraising, was the time where I had my first child. I was pregnant, and uh, it was really tough. There was a period of time where you know I'm, I was lugging around like this huge watermelon, my tummy, and going to meet VCs and sniffing away because you know how pregnant women get sick a bit more easily. And then having like second looks, <laughs> but I take it as experience. It was a tough experience, but I think that through that experience, you also learn who are the ones who are there for you, who genuinely care, who who understands that if you are actually sniffing and out with your tummy and raising funds, you're going to make this work. So that's that's another way to put it. It's just like how these days I actually just wear t-shirts and track pants. Just like now I'm wearing a hoodie, because <laughs> because I realized that hey, I'm I'm done with the days of wearing pencil skirts or dresses because it doesn't work for me anymore. <laughs> so as as long as you can be truthful to yourself and just do you, I think the rest of the world will come to realize that that's gonna be you. When you think about. All of that about getting to the truth of the matter about whether you want to have kids before you start thinking about the timing of the kids, and then、mm. we talk about the planning for the kids, and then planning the in context of the startup and your family help and all these other different dynamics. I think there's also a huge element of tying back to the earlier conversation, a lot of fear、yeah. about having that conversation, right, with people. Fear in having a conversation with VCs, have fear of having that conversation with your employees, fear of having a conversation with your friends or you know other founders. So, any thoughts or reflections around that dynamic? I think the key is you don't have to tell everybody. <laughs> so I mean, we all have fears, right? And and of course, at that point in time, I was obviously afraid of being judged by the VCs that I'm fundraising with,、uh, and you try to put up a brave front, of course, which you do all the time. I think all startups try to put up a really strong front in front of VCs because that's how you raise funds. So I, I think the idea is not to have to be super open to everybody, but have a small kind of village of people that you really trust. 
And you just need that few people that you can speak to to kind of sound things out or someone that you can just tell everything, your fears included, and they're not going to judge you and they're just going to tell you as is. And there's some things that you're not going to like hearing. So one of the things I realize is I always like to go to my friends who tell me nasty stuff. I mean, not that I'm sadistic, <laughs> okay, I'm masochistic, but I think the, the key thing is I, I want to hear things that my friends are able to say in my face that may not sound nice, but I know it's a truth. The earlier on, you know, you get used to that. I think the, the better it is for me or for anybody because then I'm not saying you have to absorb it and then start feeling bad, but being just grateful for people who can be honest and truthful to you is that much more important than just hearing the good things. That's a lot of truth right there that you just laid on people. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Did you apologize? Say the truth. Hard truths. Hard truths. There we go. Hard truths to keep mom founders going. There we go. Yes, yes, exactly. So could you share with me about a time when you were brave? When I was brave. I don't think there is a time that I am brave, but I think the whole period of time from being pregnant, going through actually a difficult pregnancy because I have high risk of preeclampsia, having that seven operations done, then coming back without maternity leave to, to continue to manage a startup. And then through fundraising during COVID, that entire period of time to me was really tough. And the brave part is not so much the dealing with that period, but more acknowledging that I was super vulnerable and I sought help. So that part to me was brave. I acknowledged that I was killing myself, I mean internally, and I actually sought help and that really helped. It completely changed my perspective and it completely made me stronger because now I'm able to frame my mind a bit more. You know how people talk about mindfulness, but in this case, it was a whole period of actually every day waking myself up and saying, hey, I got to do this differently because whatever I used to do doesn't work anymore. What does it mean to seek help? Whatever you're comfortable to share. Well, I actually sought therapy. You know, for a period of time, I thought I was going through like postnatal depression. So I actually went to a therapist, I spoke to a counselor, and then I went to a psychiatrist because that's where they can test whether it's hormonal or not. So if it's hormonal, then, you know, of course, they can prescribe some medicine for you. Then in the end, it all came down to not having enough sleep because I was working 20 hours a day. So I was prescribed sleeping meds so that I could sleep. Effectively, I slept for like almost a week and then I bounced back. That's it. <laughs> so, so sometimes, you know, when you're in the deep depths of it, it may seem like you cannot get anywhere, but... When you we start talking to people and you start to reframe your mindset and talk to people who actually know, right? Instead of wondering, like I was wondering whether it's postnatal, but actually it's not because it's clearly not hormonal. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting is that at some point you got help, right? And I think it's yeah. a interesting story, right? Because there's a certain threshold where you don't get help. <laughs> And then yes. suddenly you do get help. And then if you get help, it's just in time. And then if you wait too long, and then it's too late. So timing is an interesting dynamic for... And that's where we kind of encourage each other to seek help. Yes, absolutely. How do you think about that dynamic around for a founder to come to a resolution and feel that they're comfortable to seek help? That's interesting. I feel like 
all founders should seek help, whether or not you feel bad. Honestly, I feel like um, the whole idea of coaching, there's, there's a fine line between counseling, coaching, therapy. Because in my good days, my chats with, for example, the therapist or my counselor becomes coaching because it helps me to do better. On the not so good days, of course, then, you know, it's just like me trying to find new perspective. You'll be surprised that actually most of the people that I know of that's high performing are open or actually are already uh, seeking like some kind of help, whether it's coaching, whether it's counseling. So it's, it's super, super common these days, which means that it's no longer a, a taboo topic. And I think if you can get past your own ego and the rest is history, because then you invite a lot more wisdom into your own life. And instead of just relying on yourself, you realize that you have a lot more people to rely on for different perspectives. And it actually makes me grow as a person. So strongly encourage whether or not it's... Uh, so you never wait till the point of time where it's too late, right? You just have help whenever you need them. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And well, the spirit of making it less taboo, i happy to acknowledge I too have an executive coach. Yeah. Actually, I did have a time where I felt pretty shitty. I did check myself in and it turned out I had... Similar to you, it turned out I had really, really low vitamin D levels because yeah. I spent way too much time indoors working on startup life. So I was like, wait, I, I, I totally get enough sun, right? Because you know, I'm like, I look you know, relatively you know, tan, I thought. And uh, they were like, no, your vitamin D levels is like really suboptimal. And, and I was like, oh, okay, what do you need to do is like you know, chug vitamin D supplements, you know. So yeah, that helped a lot in terms of energy levels and everything as well. So it's very funny, right? Like sometimes we think or it bugs us for so long. But actually the solution is it can be so simple, right? Like if, if we knew it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, one interesting thing, of course, is that you're someone who has mentioned a couple of times about how you like to, I think you mentioned the words like village, friends, community, a couple of times. So when you look at that community around you, what would you say differentiates the community that you have versus the community that you had, say, five or ten years ago, right? The people that you've chosen to bring in, the people you've chosen to stay behind for that past chapter of your life. What is that differentiation of that community and village today? Through building the village itself or through, you know, even hiring, you see our current team and the team I had before, for every single, I guess, wrong hire or inappropriate or misfit kind of hire, I do write down notes in terms of like what I can't do next. So as you grow, you will learn to maybe have your gut a bit more polished to know whether the people that are choosing for yourselves or to form that village is important or is someone that you can trust. So, of course, if you can't trust a person 100%, then don't have them in the village. Because one of the things that you'll realize is you don't want to go backwards and have someone that you don't trust and then have all these negative or toxic kind of thoughts around that relationship. So even when we hire today within the company, we ask for 100% like integrity first. And that's what I tell every single one of our hires. I mean, we deal with a lot of data, we deal with law firms, we deal with accounting firms, we deal with funds. We're talking about a lot of highly sensitive data and people that we work with. So even within the work job scope itself, because of the nature of our job, being able to trust the person that's serving you is of utmost importance. So integrity, number one. 
even within your friends, if there's any bit of doubt that you have on a person, discomfort, then choose not to reveal some of the things that are very, very close to you. Or you could choose to basically build your village and different like groups of people that can shed light on different matters, right? You know, I have a group of friends who have lots of kids, family, you know, so they teach us like how they deal with their time. Of course, another group of founders whom I go to where fundraising and I'm dealing with like self-doubt or any of these uh, imposter syndrome that I have. I think to build different groups of friends and village around you, it's important also for you to have some kind of sanity around like who you should go to immediately when you have a certain issue or things that you need to share. Like I said, whether, whether or not it's uh, any of these issues, uh, integrity has to be the first thing that I choose, whether it's my team, family or friends. Thanks, Sheridan. <laughs> I'd love to kind of paraphrase the three big themes I got from here. The first is thank you so much for sharing the phrase, no fear. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Which you shared was something that you had in the past. And I will say that you still have today. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, I think you exemplified that through uh, so many experiences that you had from the way that you emailed the client uh, with the mind map uh, about what they needed, which was e-commerce, to how you think about the conversations you need to have uh, with uh, fellow founders to the community that you're trying to have today. The second cause is really, I think, the mom founder, hard truths to keep uh, mom founders going, which is really about the frank conversations and I think uh, some of the fears uh, that are both subconscious and conscious in terms of the conversations, uh, both external and internal, and how to have that conversation, both from a whether to have kids, to timing, to planning, to the startup itself. And I think there were some really interesting anecdotes about how you were out fundraising and being pregnant and who you trusted to have that conversation with and sort of dynamics and trade-offs there. So I thought that was brave of you to share for everybody's benefit. And lastly, thank you so much for sharing so much about what it means to you today about seeking help how to build a community over time that reflects what you're looking to learn, what you're looking to build, and what represents your values in terms of integrity. And part of that is the people that you surround yourself with. And this other aspect is also seeking help for yourself uh, in terms of your own resilience and your own requirements and health and growth, right? So thank you so much, Sherilyn, for coming on The Brave Show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope we can all share and learn from each other. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share this episode with friends and colleagues. Sign up at www.jeremyow.com to discuss this episode with other community members in our forum. Stay well and stay brave. <laughs>